continuing. Last week I said that we were stopping this series, and I changed my mind as I was getting ready because the whole idea of freedom just seems to fit really well with the Easter season. So we're not stopping. We're going to keep this theme going right through till after Easter because the reality is, is that you can be free. And I don't know if we can hear it enough that freedom is ours for the taking and we just need to be open to the opportunity that God is willing and able to set us free from the things so that so easily bind us. And so that's why we call this series, You Can Be Free If You Want to Be, because it's still our choice. We still have to choose to surrender. We still have to choose to lay down our hang-ups and our selfishness and our, we need to lay down ourselves so that the Spirit can come alive in us and be the one directing us, leading, guiding us, teaching, and helping us become all that God has destined us to be. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and as I was thinking about Palm Sunday, I remember growing up in the church that I grew up in, every Palm Sunday, we actually got palm leaves, and they were sitting at the door waiting for us, and they usually made sure that the kids got them. For some reason, they're a little stingy with the boys. I don't know, something about a, a long weapon in the hands of boys when we had brothers. I, they were a little hesitant to give those. And the girls, you know what the girls did? They split it all apart, and they braided it, and made it all nice and pretty. And, and then our boys would grab the braided one, because it hurt more than the real one. <laughs> they, boom! I don't know. Anyways. And they kept bringing it back. They didn't. They had really short memories. Every year, they knew that this was going to be a war. All throughout service, outside after service. Of course, the pastor wasn't too worried what happened after service. We're outside. It's not his problem anymore. We just, anyways, whip lashes all over. Uh, anyways, my question for you this morning to kick it all off. Did you attend a church that handed out palm branches as part of Sunday morning? And... Would you, be in, would you like one church to start making this a regular part of our practice? Now, after that sales pitch, probably not. But uh, we don't have, you know, we got a lot of little girls. Braid it, make it look pretty. Levi's not old enough yet to use it as a weapon. So, you know, there's that. Uh, anyways, show of hands in a house. How many people grew up at a church that handed out palm leaves as part of Palm Sunday? Oh, there's a few. There's a few. Okay. You, the rest of you, you really missed out, clearly, based on my story, right? Like, this is something that you, <laughs> you clearly missed out on. Uh, I'm still on the fence. Uh, it might, can't be that hard. The certain churches bring them in every year. It can't be that hard to get a whole bunch here to hand out. And anyways, it's all very symbolic of what today represents. As Palm Sunday, it is the story of the triumphal entry, but on top of that, this is the beginning of the Passion Week. This is the beginning as Jesus is entering Jerusalem that he is going to have some of his most intense disagreements with the Pharisees. He's going to have some of his most intense encounters with his disciples, preparing them for what is going to happen in the coming days. Uh, Jerusalem was supposed to be this grand feast and excitement, and for Jesus and his followers, they're going to go through a lot of really challenging times. But to set the stage before we get into the story, just so you understand what is happening on this day in preparation for what is Easter is going to do, uh, so 
Passover was this massive festival for the Jewish people. It was one of a bunch of feasts that they had, and they would celebrate this thing. They celebrate these feasts all throughout the year, and the deal was that you had to come to the place where God put his name in order to celebrate the feast. And so God put his name in Jerusalem. And so Jews from all over the world would make the pilgrimage to celebrate this feast in Jerusalem. So there's large crowds, people just crowded in the streets. Um, And Passover is really significant for the Israelites because Passover was a callback to a story in in Exodus. If you haven't read it, good story. Um, Passover is the last plague of the plagues of Egypt. Israel is held hostage in, Mo- in e- is I also call Moses. I don't know why. I you get my Israel is being held hostage by Egypt. They are being forced into slave labor, and the conditions are awful. And they cry out to God, praying for Him to deliver them from the situation. And God sends Moses, and along with Moses, God pours out the ten plagues of Egypt. Each one strategically designed to attack a certain spot in Egyptian society. And he gets to the last one. And the last plague is that God is going to pass through the land of Egypt and he's going to kill the firstborn of every person in the land, whether man, slave, king, even the animals were not safe. And the deal was that before this was to happen, the people of Israel were to take a lamb, they were to slaughter it, They were to put the blood on the door frame (coughs) as a sign to the spirit of death to pass over that house. And the people were to be sitting, eating the food. They weren't to have leavened bread. They were supposed to sit there in anticipation that at any moment it was going to be time to go. It wasn't like a sit down, really enjoy the feast. It was packed up, bags ready, shove it in the mouth because you got to go. And sure enough, The Passover comes, they're eating, the spirit passes over, and there's a great cry in Egypt, and the Egyptians can't push the Israelites out fast enough. In fact, on the way out, God tells the Israelites, you can ask anything you want of your neighbors, and they'll give it to you. And Israel plundered Egypt without ever raising a sword against them. Because the Egyptians were so determined to get them out, they gave them whatever they wanted. Gave them gold, gave them spice, gave them animals, gave them whatever. Just get your butts out of my nation because this is awful. And because of this great feat, because of everything that God had accomplished, God told the Israelites, if you are now going to keep this tradition all the days of your life, you're going to celebrate Passover and you're going to take a week to do it. And so every year, large number of people would make this pilgrimage to Israel, to Jerusalem, to celebrate this great and amazing thing that God had accomplished when they got out of Egypt. So that is Passover, and this is the feast that is happening when we read the story of the triumphal entry. And that brings us to Luke 19. I realize that I use Matthew a lot when I use the stories of Jesus. I don't know why. Probably because when I go through my read the Bible in a year, I get to Mark, and then I give up. So I never actually get to Luke and John, even though there's lots of good stuff in there. So I'm switching it up this year. We're going with Luke this year. Uh, so Luke 19, starting verse 28. Here we go. 
After telling this story, Jesus had just finished doing some teaching with the people. Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there with no one has, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, why are you untying that colt? The disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, as all, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, on heaven, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. There's a lot going on in this. There's lots of like Old Testament references going on here. The really cool thing, we'll start with the colt, the young donkey that had never been ridden. Uh, I've, I've read so many children's stories saying that, well, this colt was just unqualified. It was young. It was weak. He couldn't actually carry anybody. And Jesus miraculously made him strong. And he could, man, no, that's not at all what's going on. And even like with the disciples going, it's like, well, was this some divine intervention that Jesus knew that this colt, well, did he, or did he have it lined up? Well, actually, it wasn't either of those things either. It was not uncommon in that day for a politician or a religious leader to come up to your house and say, I need this for a short time, and you just gave it to them. That was not an uncommon thing. And more times than not, they would ask for a donkey or a horse because they needed some form of transportation to get to where they're going. And the idea was it was going to come back. But because it was a religious leader, you, did, you actually weren't allowed to say no. You actually had to give it to them. And so when the disciples came and started untying it, and their response being, the Lord needs it, they just knew, oh, okay, sure, yeah, you go for it. Here's, here he is. He's all yours. Uh, the other significant thing, um, Luke, actually, all the gospel writers make a really big point of saying that the colt had never been ridden. And by saying that, they're saying that the colt is actually pure. It had never, no one had ever sat on it, nobody had ever beaten it, nobody had ever done anything to it. This colt was pure, and thus it was worthy of a king. So that's really significant, that this pure, unblemished colt set aside for the king of kings, the king of Israel, even though some of the people in this crowd didn't believe that he was actually the king. So he's riding this unblemished colt. He's got the cloaks on it. Of course, laying down at the cloaks and the palm branches on the road was a sign of royalty, sign of honoring. We read about them doing this for Jehu in the Old Testament, who was the king of Israel. He'd come back from victory, and they were laying down the cloaks and the palm branches on the road. 
as he was making his way to Jerusalem. And this is the same thing the disciples are doing for Jesus. This is our king. He is our royalty. We're going to follow him to the ends of the earth. We're going to honor him in all that we do. And one of the ways we're going to honor him is we're going to lay down our cloaks. We're going to lay down palm branches so that this unblemished, pure colt doesn't touch the dirt of the road until it hits Jerusalem. So a lot of really interesting things going on. The Everything pointing towards Jesus being the great king, the awaited, long-awaited Messiah. The other thing is that as these crowds are making their way, part of the entrance into Jerusalem for preparation of this feast was the singing. It was not unusual for the disciples to be singing. The whole crowd would have been singing right alongside one of the disciples celebrating, but they were changing the chant. They were changing the song. Psalm 118 is where we get this reference, and this was a psalm that was often sang as the people were entering Jerusalem, but they were changing it. And this is what upset the Pharisees, because the disciples were clearly saying they weren't waiting for the king because the king had arrived. But more than that, there's a difference. You know, you know when you're standing in a crowd and some people, or maybe you're at a concert, and some people are just singing because everybody else is singing, and some people are like, Wah! like they're really getting into the song. The super fans as opposed to the ones who got dragged, you know the difference there? They're all singing, but there's a different level of singing happening. Well, that's what's happening here. There's the people who are entering Jerusalem, and they're singing because this is something they've done year in, year out, four times a year. They just sing because they sing. But the disciples, when it talks about the miracles that the disciples had seen, Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. Do you think they had something to sing about? Do you think they had something to be excited about? So the disciples weren't just singing. They were really belting these songs because they weren't waiting anymore. They had seen Jesus in action, and they knew that they had something really, truly to worship and sing and praise God for. They were so excited. And then, of course, we got the Pharisees. The buzz kills, the party poopers show up, and they're like, Jesus, make your disciples stop. Jesus, I can't make them stop, because if they stop, Nature itself will cry out and declare the great and amazing thing that is happening before you today. But my second question I have for you today is, have you ever been caught up in the moment and done something just because everyone else is doing it? If you say no, you're all lying. I already know the answer. Everyone online, you can tell the story. Everyone in-house, you're, you're off the hook. You don't have to actually share the story, but you all know exactly what I'm talking about. It popped in your head as soon as you read the question. We all get caught up in this. We all get caught up in the mob mentality. Something's going on, and we just get excited. You know, you get to, you get to Youthquake or, or YC or something with a whole bunch of kids, and they're all screaming and yelling and singing the songs at the top of your lungs. You can't help but to sing. Everyone kind of takes a step away when I start singing, but that's okay. Like, it's, we're still singing our hearts out. We're yelling. We're screaming. It's just awesome. We're so excited. And you're like, why did I do this? I have no voice. I'm supposed to be yelling at the kids now, and I can't even yell at them because my voice is gone. Uh, but you get caught up in the moment. And sometimes it's good things like YC, worshiping and singing and getting excited for things of God. And sometimes, well, sometimes we get caught up doing things that maybe we regret later on. 
sometimes we get caught up just going through the motions because everyone else is doing it. So maybe if I do it too, maybe I'll experience what they're experiencing. Maybe I'll feel what they're feeling. Maybe I'll just not stand out by not doing it. An amazing thing that's going on in this story, there's three groups of people, all with different experiences, all actively playing a part in this story. And I would dare say that each and every one of us falls into one of these three groups. And I'll give you, I'll, um, <coughs> spoiler alert, the question at the end of this is, which group would you put yourself in? So you can start thinking about that. And I'll just put it back up to remind you if you need to. But there's three groups of people in this story. And the first group is the obvious one, the disciples of Jesus. And these guys are so excited. Like I just said, they just saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And if you don't know the story of Lazarus raising from the dead, in the Jewish custom, there was an acceptable amount of days where someone could come back to life. They kind of had this, like, gap where, you know, we maybe got it wrong. Maybe they're still alive. They could still wake up. Lazarus was past that. In fact, he was so far past it, he was starting to stink. Okay? He's super dead. Like, beyond. They rolled the door, and, like, everyone else bailed. Like, Aah! But Jesus goes in and says, Lazarus, get up. He comes back to life. They would have lost their minds. Because this wasn't like an oopsie, we rolled the stone in front of the wrong guy. This was, he's dead. Super dead. Smell, anyways, I don't need to exaggerate. But anyways, so they're fired up. They know that they know that they know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah they've been waiting for. He is the Savior of the world. And they're excited. And these people are going to experience freedom that we all so desperately long for because when we follow the king and we step into the kingdom of God the freedom we get set free last week we talked about the pressures of the world we get set free because we're already accepted God already loves us he's already forgiven us he's walking alongside us They're the disciples are unbelievably free because they know that they know that they know that Jesus is the long-awaited Son of God. And they worship more freely. They're more excited about the future. They're more excited about what is happening in their lives because they know that God has come to earth, become one of them, has taught them, and they will follow God to the ends of the earth. They'll follow Jesus. They will honor him. They'll take off their cloaks and lay it on the ground. In the, next, in the coming time, there's going to be trials. There's going to be hardships. But they are just going to blindly follow Jesus because they know who he is and what he is going to accomplish in their life. He is free. They're all free. And they're willing to just give up their comforts. They're willing to give up their rights. and They're willing to give it all up so they can just be close to their Messiah and their King, and they can fight for Him, and they can follow Him, and they can just hear His words as He teaches them. They, despite the struggles, despite the suffering, despite everything that's been come, they are really, truly free. Second group is the Jews. Now, this, I'm not... 
I'm not, this is not like a slander against the Jews, and I'm, not, and I'm painting them with a pretty broad brush. I'm sure there are some exceptions to this. But this is the group that gets caught up in going through the motions. We have done this year in and year out. We've sang the same songs. Okay, Psalm, okay, Psalm 118, and now we move to the next one. And, ooh, they switched it up. They changed the song order this year, but it's still the same song. Like, they're just going through the motions, and they show up, and they eat their food, and they visit the family, and they do the sacrifices, and this is the same thing over and over and over, and soon it just feels like you're going through the motions, and you lose sight of why you're doing this. Sorry, they lose sight. Did I say you? Oops. We do this. We go to church because mom and dad always went to church and grandma and grandpa have always gone to church and it, church is just the right thing to do, but it just feels like it's, when we're just going through the motions, it just feels like another task. It feels like another burden. It feels like another thing weighing us down. And we've, at some point, some of these Jews, not all of them, but some of them are probably disconnected why they were doing it. And they were simply doing it because it's what they've always done. They've literally just gone into autopilot and they get to the end of the Passover week and they don't really remember anything that happened because, well, I can't remember. It's probably the same thing I did last year and the year before and somebody will remember what happened. And soon you get to the point where you're going through the motions and like, what's the point? What's the point of all of this? For them back then, it was a huge time commitment. Some of them were traveling thousands of miles to get to Jerusalem just for the sake of going through the motions. And you think of even for us today, what is it costing you to just simply do what's been always the right thing to do? What is going through the motions costing you? What are you missing out on because you haven't, you've forgotten that this isn't just about doing the right thing. It's about a relationship with the loving, a living, loving father who wants to be intimately involved in your life and wants to set you free from the burdens of the world. Some of them were just going through the motions. They were singing, but... Not really. And then there's the Pharisees, the party poopers. They're always got to be somewhere trying to douse everything. And the ironic thing is that the Pharisees were supposed to be the ones who never got it wrong. They were the wealthy ones who got to spend all day reading the word. They memorized large portions. Some of these Pharisees, most of them, had the entire Old Testament memorized. Just for an example, sorry, Matthew and Mark are in here too, but that's what the Old Testament looks like. Start reading, people. They had all of that memorized, and not in English. English is a nice language. Hebrew is a terrible language to try to memorize anything in. All of it. Recite it verbatim. 
And they, had, they were required to be able to just not just go through it and figure out. No, they had to be able to cite a verse on demand when another Pharisee asked it. That's how thoroughly they had this thing memorized. If anyone was going to recognize the arrival of the Savior, it should be these guys. The problem is, the Pharisees had taken so much time teaching a teaching God's word in a way that benefited them, that they actually were in a position where they had the most to lose. If everything Jesus was saying was true, and Jesus really was the Messiah, and he was teaching all this stuff like servant leadership, and the first will be last, and the real leader will wash the feet of his brothers, and that's not what Pharisees do. So either they had to change, or they had to eliminate the problem. The Pharisees had the most to lose. And unfortunately, we do this at church too. Because we have held on to a version of God's word that has fit our life and fit our mold so perfectly that when someone comes along and challenges it, we're like, that can't be right. I had a mentor recently tell me that if God hasn't challenged one of your beliefs, core beliefs or otherwise, you're not listening to God closely enough. I'll say that again. If God hasn't challenged one of your beliefs recently, you're not listening to God closely enough. Because I hate to break it to you, you don't have perfect theology. And neither do I. And God proves that to me on a regular basis. We are always refining our understanding of who God is, what his word really means, and how we put it into action in our day-to-day life. And the Pharisees were so entrenched in their way that when God showed up to challenge them, they not only rejected it, they were on the verge of eliminating the one who was doing the challenging. And this was not their first kick at the cat. Jesus said that they killed prophets by the hundreds throughout the Old Testament. Every time God sent someone to challenge the status quo, someone else always rose up to eliminate the problem instead of making the change that God so desperately wanted the people to make. And so I come back to the question, which group of people would you put yourself in? Are you the disciple that is so overwhelmed by the love and grace and freedom found in Jesus that you would, you would obey God's word no matter what it cost? You would follow the voice of God no matter where it took you. You would live out your faith no matter what anyone else said about it. Are you the follower that is willing to sacrifice so many comforts and so many rights for the sake of of experiencing the freedom and the joy and the fulfillment that is found in Christ alone? Are you the Jew who is just going through the motions? We show up at church because it's the right thing to do. We read the Bible to check the box on the reading plan. I know I rag on the reading plans all the time, but it's just... (laughs) We pray that our Father a hundred times a day because that's the prayer that we were taught and we miss the fact that we're actually we're supposed to be having a conversation and that our father we're not supposed to pray word for word we're supposed to just be follow the model that jesus laid out for us 
Are we the ones just going through the motions and it's just getting to a point where it's just starting to feel like another thing on the task list? Or are we the Pharisees? That we have been at this for so long, we have understood God's word one way for so long that whenever someone challenges us, no one, someone comes along and says, hey, we need to adjust this, that it is easier to reject than actually entertain the idea that maybe I was wrong. Maybe I need to make an adjustment so that I can follow God a little bit better. Are we the ones that have the most to lose and we're not willing to let it go? We fall in one of these three groups. And the reality is that only one of these groups will really truly experience the freedom found in Christ. Here's a hint. It's the first one. <laughs> Let's pray. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Jesus, we love you. I thank you, God. I thank you, Jesus, for this story, as the reminder of how you entered into Jerusalem. And even though it says that there's these large crowds and they're all singing, it's not all one unified crowd. There's three different things going on here. And I pray, God... I pray that we are constantly moving towards being the first group. The faithful, bold, reckless disciple that will follow you to the ends of the earth, no matter what it costs, no matter how uncomfortable it would be. God, that we would be your disciples, that we would be your representatives, that we would imitate you and represent you well in all that we do. God, help us be found to be your faithful followers. Father, I pray for those that may feel like they're stuck in the rut and they're just going through the motions. God, I just pray that you would inject them with a new sense of life, a new sense of purpose, that the things that they've always done would suddenly have new meaning to them and it would draw them into this deep, intimate relationship that we can have with our Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those that are holding on to their ways too tightly, that you are challenging and you're poking and you just so desperately want to do something new in their life. God, I pray that you would soften their grip and allow them to be transformed and reformed. That's not all about them. It's all about you. And Jesus, I pray for anyone that is here that maybe has never had a relationship with you. Maybe is far from you right now. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to them right now. That your small, gentle whisper would be heard in their ears and you would speak your love. You would speak your forgiveness. That you would draw them home. We talked about the spirit of adoption that we would become sons and daughters of you. God, I pray for that, whoever that may be, that you would be drawing them back to be the faithful son and daughter that you desire them to be. And as they make that commitment, God, may the world open up to them and may they see everything in a new light because you have caused the scales to drop from their eyes and they see things in a new way. 
God, continue to challenge us, continue to speak to us, and help us, God, to always grow more and more into your image and likeness. We thank you, Jesus. Give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name. Amen.